Let's pray. Father, I'm just reminded this morning how easy it is to grow callous to the beauty of the gospel. God, may we never, never lose the wonder the amazement that you, a holy God, would send your own Son out of your rich mercy that we might be saved. God, we thank you for your mercy. Oh God, we thank you for your mercy. Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, our day is, is a day in need of merciful people. Our day is a, a day in which assumptions rule, a day in which people around every corner are needy. Various reasons for that need. They're in need of physical help, they're in need of financial help, they're ultimately in need of salvation. But yet on news programs, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, websites, we constantly see conflict, name-calling, gossip, slander, mockery, and false assumptions. We, we live in a day in which many feel the need that they have to constantly be on edge to defend their position and to advance their cause, to prove their point, regardless of a person's plight or situation. I'm going to get across my point no matter what. I'm ready to attack, and I'm passing judgment on every statement that I hear and every statement that I read. And so I would ask you, what, what most characterizes you this morning? If you just take a catalog of your week and a catalog of your thoughts and a catalog of your posture, what would, what would most characterize you? Would you be most characterized by being an, an, an angry, bitter, attacking, slandering, gossiping person? Would you be one that is quick to assume you know the motives or the situation of another? Are you one that is too busy to help? Or are you postured in such a way that, that you are ready to extend mercy to those around you? Or are you living in such a way that, that you look to extend mercy and it's not even something that you necessarily look to do. You're not walking around going, I'm looking for opportunities to extend mercy. It's just kind of who you are. You're a merciful person. You see, one of these characterizes the unbeliever of our day. One characterizes the believer which one characterizes you what fruit are you most known by what do you look like 
Join with me as we read Matthew. If you're just joining us this morning for the first time, we are studying through the book of Matthew, and we're in Matthew chapter 5, going through what's called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we're just walking through the Beatitudes right now, just taking them one by one and looking at the person that is described as the believer, the follower of Christ. We understand that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his, to his people, to his disciples. He says that the disciples came to him, and so he's teaching them what it looks like to be a follower of his. We begin in verse 3, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We stop there this morning as we we look at what does it look like to be a merciful person. As we start in the Sermon on the Mount, we would, we would do well to note that as we look at these descriptions of, of who the follower of Christ is, we are seeing who he is more than what he does. Who he is. The, 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 the Christian is called to be before he is called to do. Martin Lloyd-Jones says a Christian is something before he does anything. We have to be a Christian before we can act like Christians. And so what Jesus is describing is what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. This is who his people are. And we note here that that the Beatitudes, if you'll kind of notice, they're kind of shifting gears in what Jesus is teaching. If you look at the first three, verses three through five, it kind of describes the spiritual posture of the believer towards God, that the believer is poor in spirit. He understands his spiritual need before the Lord, that he is impoverished that he is needy in spirit and that person mourns over his or her sin sin grieves him because he understands his need but he understands the depth of his sin so he mourns before the lord and he's gentle he comes before the lord in meekness seeking his grace and his mercy and because of that the natural outworking of the one who is poor in spirit and mourns over sin is meek is that he hungers and he thirsts for righteousness. He has a, a longing, a desire to pursue the Lord, to grow in righteousness. Not to earn righteousness, but to pursue it because he has tasted of the Lord. He's known that the Lord is good, and so he desires more of the Lord. So he hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Now, as we get into 7 through 9, there's a little bit of a, a turn, a little bit of a, a shift in Jesus' focus where he starts to look at the character, the, the disposition, the attitude of the believer towards others. That the believer here today is, is merciful. And we'll look next week that he is pure in heart. In verse 9, we'll look and see that the believer is a peacemaker. This morning, the believer is merciful. What, what is mercy? What is mercy? We, we just cried out to God for mercy. We just sang, Lord, have mercy on us. What is mercy? I, I love this definition. It's kind of lengthy, but I want to read to you this definition from, from Noah Webster in 1828. You should pick up a copy of, of Webster's Dictionary from 1828. It has much more beautiful, much more clear definitions that aren't manipulated and twisted for our day. Noah Webster's 1828 definition of mercy, listen to this. He says, it's that benevolence mildness or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries 
or to treat an offender better than he deserves. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than law of justice would warrant. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. Isn't that a beautiful definition? Isn't that a beautiful word from Noah Webster? It, essentially, what he's saying is that, that mercy is a generous attitude towards others. It, it's, a, it's a refusal to, to seek revenge. Sinclair Ferguson says that mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and, and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. James Montgomery Boyce, he talks about mercy being reaching out to help those who are helpless, and it is identifying with the misery of the miserable. I, several years back, I went through a season in my life where, uh, where I got involved with some of you in the, in the church here, uh, doing jujitsu and, and grappling and, and, and wrestling, and, and here's what I learned, is that there's a certain level of confidence that you have as, a, as, a, as you walk onto that mat. Right, it's the first time. I was kind of thinking, yeah, okay, this doesn't look that bad. Isn't that hard? Right? And in a few moments, there were various parts of my body that were in excruciating pain. Right? I, I, at different moments that night, I remember almost passing out, not because I was tired, but because someone was choking me. And I remember my arm being like, it's about to break in half. It's almost gone. My knee, all these different parts of my body was being manipulated in odd and strange and bad ways. I needed mercy. So in grappling and jujitsu, you, you may know this terminology, even though you haven't done it, it's tapping out, right? When, when someone's about, you're about to pass out, you know, things are going crazy and you're, you're doing this thing and that person does what? They have mercy on you. And so what I learned in jujitsu and grappling is my need for mercy. And experiencing that mercy led me to do what? Once I started rolling more and going more and learning more, I got to a place where I had the opportunity to put people in those positions. And in those moments, I knew what it was to be extended mercy. And so in those moments, you know what I did? I was merciful. When someone tapped out at the first sign of a, a couple taps, I released, I let go. Shook their hand, got up, and said, let's go again. Because I had been shown mercy, I wanted to extend mercy. In Matthew 5, 7, we see Jesus saying that my followers are merciful. Blessed are the merciful. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are full of mercy. Why? Because we have been extended mercy. As God's people, we are recipients of His rich mercy. And because of that, we extend mercy to others. This is different than just doing acts of mercy, mercy that we would randomly do to, to maybe check off a box. We could certainly do this, but you understand that you could do an act of mercy and never be merciful. You could do it just to impress others. You could do it to manipulate a situation. You could do it to get something out of it, right? So it's different than just doing an act of mercy here and there. The believer is merciful, Blessed are the merciful. The believer is characterized by mercy. It's the bent of his life. It's the way she's postured towards others that she meets. It's more than an occasional act. It's the default setting, the default, you might say, the spirit-empowered setting of our lives, of our hearts. It's how we view others. We want to extend mercy. 
is who we are. It's a fruit of regeneration. It's a fruit of God's work in our life that we are merciful people. Why? Because He has been merciful to us. James brought us, or John brought us, I'm sorry, notes two dimensions of mercy described in Scripture. Two dimensions, two, two ways that we understand mercy in Scripture. You can turn there if you want. The first one is Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. We see a, an example of mercy. It's mercy towards those who are guilty. Mercy towards those who are guilty. So in Matthew 18, we, we read the parable of the unforgiving servant. Let's read this briefly and make a couple comments this morning. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18, we read, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times, or seventy times seven. Therefore, he gives this parable, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants, which he, when he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should not pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should you not have had, what? Mercy on your fellow servant as I, what? As I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you see what's happening here? It's, a, it's, a, it's an illustration, a parable on forgiveness, that we should forgive as we've been forgiven. But at the root, at the foundation of this is what? Is mercy. It's mercy. Mercy lies at the root of forgiveness. The, the problem here is that, that he did not do something. What did he do not, did not do? He did not do mercy, or he did not forgive. Right? Why? Why did he not forgive? Because he was not merciful he was not merciful in in 1833 we see an important truth mercy experience should lead to mercy shown mercy experience should lead to mercy shown it's the same thing that we'll see later in the scriptures in luke mercy experience should lead to mercy shown mercy lies at the root of forgiveness so there's an element that the merciful person is a forgiving person As we're living in mercy, we have a posture, a disposition, an attitude of mercy towards others. So that's one dimension, mercy towards those who are guilty. The other dimension is we see in Luke 10, Luke 10, verses 30 to 37. If you want to flip over there, Luke chapter 10, just a, a couple books over in your New Testament. Luke chapter 10, the first one was mercy towards those who are guilty. The second is mercy towards those 
who are in need. Mercy to those who are in need. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So we read in, in verse 30 to 37 the parable that, that Jesus is teaching about loving your neighbor. And we'll just pick it up in verse 30. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So Jesus said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said what? Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. You, you realize that the Samaritan didn't look at him and go, you know, I'm going to help him, but I'm going to go and figure out all that ailed him and what put him in this situation. He should never have been walking down this road in the first place. I'm going to give you a good lecture on why you shouldn't have been walking down this road, why you shouldn't have put yourself in that position. As a matter of fact, I'm also going to lecture you on, on why you don't have the right things in your life to get yourself out of the position and to help yourself. Why didn't you think a bit ahead about this situation? What social L's are there that's made this happen? I'm going to pick it and I'm going to tweet about it. He didn't do any of that. He had mercy on the man. He stepped in the man's misery. He didn't say, you know, did you cause this on your own? Did you mouth off at those robbers? Did you say something to them? Did you put yourself in a bad situation? No. The Samaritan sees him. He has mercy on him. And he steps in to the misery of the miserable, the need of the needy. And he helps him in his time of need. The Samaritan showed love and compassion and care because he was merciful. It's an example of mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. This brings up an important question for us. We hear Matthew 5, 7. We look at the passage in Matthew, the passage in Luke. Here's a very telling question that we have to ask this morning. Am I merciful? Am I merciful? Am I merciful? Like you guys that are note takers, you take all the points, you take all the notes, note that question. Am I merciful? Star it, circle it, underline it, think about it. Am I merciful my lord says that as a follower of his as a believer that blessed are the merciful that that's who his people are that we are just merciful we've received mercy so we extend mercy am i merciful or is my posture one of criticism judgment harshness cynicism am i too busy to help i see someone in need and i turn a blind eye and drive on am i am i am i too selfish to sacrifice it might cost me too much. It might make me look bad. Am I too callous to forgive? You hurt me, and you're going to pay. I'm going to make sure you pay because I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. 
I'm not going to give you any credence. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to be merciful. I'm too callous. Are you merciful? Are you quick to show mercy? Is your default toward a tenderness of heart towards others that leads you to overlook how they may have injured you or insulted you, how they may have gotten into the situation, but you simply seek and long to extend mercy? Are you merciful? Listen, if you would say at this point, you would say, I don't know. (laughs) I, I don't know. Or I'm not. Or you know what, honestly, if I'm really honest, if I don't really want to talk about it, I don't want to raise my hand, but if I'm really honest, I've, I struggle with that. But the solution is not, as I wrote about this this week in, in Grace Notes, the solution is not to look and go, try harder. The solution isn't to, to, to try harder to be merciful. The solution is to look to God. The solution is to look and behold your God. To look to Him to strengthen you and to enable you and to empower you to be merciful. Perhaps to look to Him to save you. You see, our merciful disposition is rooted in God. It's rooted in God. If you want to grow in mercy, look to God and His mercy. Look at the character of God, the God who is merciful, and look how out of His merciful character He has done and shown mercy. I want you just to hear these passages this morning. I think one of the best ways to grow in mercy is to be reminded of the rich, rich mercy of our God. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 40, or sorry, Deuteronomy 4, verse 30 to 31. And Moses is given that last word to the people of Israel, right? And he talks about their obedience or lack of obedience, how they stray from the Lord, how they're punished. And he says this, he says, When you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey His voice. Why do you think? Why? Because they fear Him? Because they're they're cowering, going, oh, we got to... No, why? For the Lord your God is a merciful God. They return. Why? They do live in fear of a holy God, but they know that He is a merciful God. It says, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. When you live in a disobedience, when you fail, when you rebel, you look and you look and you behold a merciful God, so you turn back to Him because He is merciful. In Psalm 23, 6, the shepherd's psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, right? We live in this, uh, this we read it all the time at funerals, but this, this, this psalm should be read and depended upon in life, and the Lord is our shepherd. We live with Him as shepherd. What, is, what does it say? Surely, goodness and what? Mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy follow me. Psalm 103.8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's who he is. He is merciful. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he's made. You, do you see that? The, part, the common grace of God according to, to scripture above all that he's made is that his mercy is over it all. He is a merciful God. In Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, we have this beautiful statement that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. They never come to an end. Or what about, what about Hosea? Have you read Hosea recently? It's a story of God's mercy towards his people in their unfaithfulness. 
Hosea is intended to teach us of God's mercy in the midst of unfaithfulness. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, we read this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me. He's calling them to return and repent. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Don't just strip off your garments. Don't just, just this outer display. Rend your hearts to me. Genuinely come to me in repentance. Return to the Lord your God. Why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Do you remember our study in Jonah? We walked through Jonah. What do we say Jonah is? It's a, it's a picture of what? God's mercy towards a disobedient prophet. In Matthew 9.13, Jesus challenges the Pharisees. They were upset that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, and he challenges them. He says, you know what, I got an assignment. I got some homework for you. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, but not the righteous, but the sinners. We read a, a difficult text of Scripture, a trying text, a text that, that boggles our mind, just kind of leaves our brains smoking in Romans 9. But it reminds us that God is not required to show mercy. We don't look at him and go, you show mercy. No, it is God. He is God. We are not. He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. We just read in our time of meditations, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. We think about our salvation. We think about the fact that we're saved by God's grace. Why did we get saved? Why did he save us? Why did he bring this about? Because Ephesians 2, 4 says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus why so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in christ it is because of his rich mercy that he saved you so that you might know the riches of his grace and kindness in jesus christ what a glorious statement that is or what about titus 3 another demonstration of god's mercy and salvation we read titus 3 starting in verse 3 through 7 he says for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy hated by others and hating one another man that you want there's a pretty good statement of our day right but when the goodness and loving kindness of our god and savior appeared us he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness not because of anything you did why did he save you but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We read a similar statement in 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen. Here's the bottom line. When this merciful God comes into your life and saves you, redeems you, makes you new, a new creation brings you to life, how can one not be merciful? How can it be? How can it be that one would say, I claim Christ, I've been saved, but yet he was cynical, critical, judgmental, harsh, bitter, and angry towards others? How can that be? 
If the merciful God is in your life, dwelling in you by the power of the Spirit, if that is the case, then we too should be merciful. That's why in Luke 6.36, Jesus says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Be merciful. Because He has changed our life. The merciful disposition of God's people is rooted in the merciful character of God who has saved them, and He manifests that in our lives lives as evidence of his work of regeneration in us god's people are merciful now we get to the end of matthew 5 7 it says blessed are the merciful for what for they shall receive mercy now i would just draw your attention briefly to the fact that this again is what we talked about last week it's a it's pointing to mercy coming from god Mercy coming from God. The promise is not, blessed are the merciful because um, those in their day will be kind to them and gentle with them and merciful to them. The other people around them in the world, man, it'll just blow their socks off. They'll be amazed at how merciful you are. And so they'll be so nice to you, bunch of Christians. (laughs) No, it doesn't say that. Let's just say that. We don't want to get ahead of us, but in verse 10 and 11, we're going to read in a few weeks that actually living as, as God calls us to live is going to bring persecution. You see, the promise is blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And that mercy is from God. It's a divine passive. God is doing the acting. He is the one that will give us mercy. But here's a question that comes up. Is God's mercy, in verse 7, is it contingent on me being merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So does that mean that if I'm merciful, then God's going to be merciful to me? Like, do I make this kind of trade? You know, it's like, hey, God, I was merciful, so now you have to be mercy, merciful to me. Is that how this works? Is that what it means? Is his future mercy based on my present mercy? No. No, it's not. 5-7 does not say, if you are merciful, you will be blessed by receiving mercy from God. That's not what it says. It's a statement of fact, this reality, the merciful will receive mercy. Why? Not because they're merciful, but because they are believers, because they're God's people. Remember context. Remember your context. Why is it important to read Scripture contextually? Because it informs how you understand the meaning of the text. We understand that Jesus is speaking to who? His disciples. He's speaking to those who are his, his people. It's not him saying, this is how you become a Christian, by being merciful. He is saying that his people are merciful. We're merciful because God has shown us mercy in saving us. We do not earn God's mercy by being merciful. This is not a tit-for-tat thing where you say, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get that. We have received God's mercy, therefore we show God's mercy knowing that ultimately we will experience His mercy full and free on the final day. That is what this verse is teaching. We do not find anywhere in Jesus' teachings, the rest of the New Testament, anywhere in Scripture that a works-based salvation is taught. It is not a works-based salvation. We are saved by God's grace and God's mercy and His mercy alone. So the question, we look at that and we, we hear that we shall receive mercy. What do we bank that on? Other, it says it here. How can we have confidence to know, you know, if it says it, I believe it and I'm going to trust it. 
how do I know that? Well, first, I'm going to bring you back to a similar thing where we started a few minutes ago. First, we know that, we bank on it, we have confidence in it because of God's character. He's faithful. He's true. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8 says. He, he, he is who he is. He's the great I am. So the God who revealed himself to be merciful to the guys we just read from, uh, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Jonah, Matthew, Paul, Peter, he does not change. The same one who revealed himself, showed himself to be merciful, that we might read and be encouraged and edified today that he is a merciful God. He does not change. He is merciful. That's who he is. His word is true. He does not. He cannot lie. According to Scripture, Numbers 23, 19, Titus 1, 2, Hebrews 6, 18. He cannot lie. So when it says that you will receive mercy, you who are his, then you know that you will receive it. He was merciful then, he's merciful now, and he will be merciful to his people in the end. So we bank on his character. That's why theology is important. That's why it's important to know Scripture. That's why it's important to know the truth of God's Word, because we lean on it, we trust in it. The second thing, second reason we have confidence is this, is the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. There's there's nothing left to do. The mercy of God is shown in the sending of his son to step into the misery of the miserable and the need of the needy. God sends forth his son. He sees the plight of rebellious sinners who who are in need of forgiveness, in need of salvation, in need of mercy, and he shows mercy mercy he sends christ and when christ comes he leaves nothing left undone there's nothing more to be accomplished so that in john 19 30 when christ is hanging on the cross at the end of his life what does he say i hope i did a good job i hope i accomplished everything lord no he doesn't say man i wish i just had one more day i wish i could have done this no jesus hangs on the cross and he says it is is finished and he yielded up his spirit the scripture says it's finished the work of christ to pay for the price of sin was finished his great act of mercy the paying of the price of redemption was done it was final it was full paid in full it was total final finished so we don't look forward to a day of judgment and wonder if God's going to show mercy. I'm not living my life and going, man, when I get to the end of days and I stand before God, I just hope he's merciful to me. No, I don't look forward hoping for this mercy from God that I may not know. No, I look back on the death of Christ. I look back on the cross on, and see and know his mercy full and free. And he says, it is finished. I look back on the cross and I see the one who is sovereign over all. He offered his life as a ransom for many. I look and I see the one who had no needs stepping into our greatest need of salvation. I look and I see the one who knew no sin bearing the wrath of God for sinners like me. I see the one who was guiltless and I see him showing mercy and dying for the guilty. I see the one who was innocent voluntarily being beaten and bruised for my transgressions. That's who I see. I look back on the cross. The confidence I have in the mercy of God in the future is based on what he did on the cross. And he said, it is finished. The one who had every right to rule in justice because he is the holy God had mercy and grace on the cross. Justice and mercy coincide on the cross and we are recipients of God's great mercy as his people have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ. So we look back on the cross and we have confidence in the cross because he said, it is finished. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Why is it important for me to sit and go, you know what? I look back on the cross 
I trust the cross. Here's why. Because if you look at me and you say, you know what, Todd? You asked us if we're merciful. I want to ask you if you're merciful. You know what I would have to say to you? I would have to say, I'm more merciful now than I was before the day Christ redeemed me. And I'm more merciful than I was as a young believer because He is sanctifying me and growing me in Christ. But I am not perfect in mercy. I fail Him. And I am the one that sometimes turns His eye. I am the one that questions. I am the one that's cynical. I struggle and I fail and I sin. I'd be willing to bet, though, that you could probably identify with that. We struggle and we fail. But the importance of knowing that our confidence lies in the finished work of Christ is that we know full well that our merciful God has paid the price on the cross for us. Our merciful King who died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascended to heaven to intercede on our behalf on that day will speak on our behalf. So the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 24 says that the blood of Christ speaks a better word. <laughs> it speaks a better word. It speaks a better word than all of my religious deeds, all my good deeds, all my acts, all my failings, and all my sin. It's important to lean on the finished work of Christ. Because the reality is Yes, we are merciful, but we fail and we sin. But we have seen God's mercy on the cross. Believers, we have experienced God's mercy and salvation. We've been given new life. And don't you ever forget that as a believer, you have been promised God's mercy in the end. What a beautiful, beautiful promise that is. So we live in confidence that he showed us mercy in saving us and he will continue to show us mercy on that great day. So I just ask this morning, do you know the mercy of God? That that's where it all starts. It, it, do, it doesn't start by you going, well, I'm not merciful, so I'm going to try harder and I'm going to go to Sunday school now and, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to read my Bible more. That'll make me merciful. Well, God uses His Word to sanctify you. You may need to back up. And you may need to say, you know what? I, I've been religious for a long time. But I've never been redeemed. That could be you. You may say, you know what? I've read and I know the passages about God's mercy, but I have never truly repented and turned to him for mercy. That's where it begins. Again, it does not start by trying harder. It starts by trusting Christ and his finished work on the cross. And he makes you merciful in his grace. And then it is seeking him and pursuing, hungering, thirsting after righteousness. Listen, you who are here that are unbelievers. It said, we read in Psalms, that God's mercy covers all He's made. 
And I've shared with you the passages of His great mercy. The very fact that you have breath in your lungs is a mercy of God. You understand that? It's God's mercy in sustaining your life. But you also need to know that if you do not repent and turn to Christ in faith, God is a holy and a just God. And if you do not trust Christ in faith, then on that day, there is no promise of mercy for you. There is a promise of wrath and punishment and damnation. And so I would call you and beg of you of you to repent, to turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not about being religious. It's not about impressing people. If you would say, man, I don't want to do that. If people think I'm a Christian, well, get over it. Get over it. Turn to Christ in faith. Trust Him. And believer, you're here today. I, I pray that you would have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that would be manifest and, and seen fruitful and growing in mercy. Pray that you would know God's great mercy, that you would know the mercy of the cross, that your confidence would lie in the cross, and that you would look forward to the beautiful display of mercy that awaits. And so we're going to end today. We're going to end today singing of God's great mercy. We're going to end today looking at the fact that, as Augustus' top lady wrote years and years ago, that we are debtors to mercy alone. We're debtors to mercy alone. And so we're going to exalt the name of Christ. We're going to seek Him. We're going to ask God, God, help us to be merciful and showing forgiveness to those around us. God, help us grow us in mercy. Help us to be merciful in our posture, in our disposition, our attitude, and how we step into the need and the misery of those around us. God, help us to step into the misery of the miserable. Help us to meet the need of the needy because we are merciful people. And God, let us walk forward in mercy because of your great mercy as a display of your mercy to your glory, to your glory. Let's pray. Father, we, we look to you and God, we praise you and we thank you, oh God, for your great mercy. God, we, we stand in just a moment, God, and we stand as, as your people, God. Many in here are gathered as your people, and we stand, God, as debtors to your mercy. God, it's because of your rich mercy that you've caused us to be born again. God, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. God, stir our affections for you. God, deepen our, our longing for you. God, help us to reject and cast aside the sins of the world, the selfishness, the bitter and the anger, the hate, criticism that God is so easy to get caught up in. God, let us be merciful people. God, our day needs your people to be merciful, to display your mercy, to proclaim your mercy. So God, we pray that today as debtors to mercy we pray that God you would use us to proclaim and to display your mercy to those around us and God I pray for friends here I have friends listening God that they've heard about your mercy God they've never known it experienced it God they may be religious they may have grown up in church they, they may have gone to church longer than I've been alive they would say, I'm religious. I've never been redeemed. God, I pray that 
you do a great work of salvation in the lives of men and women, teens, children. God, would you please, please show the richness of your mercy. We ask these things in the name of Christ.